Good morning. Really glad you're here this morning. This is uh, somewhat of a surreal morning for me in that this is our last week at the Diamond Bar location. Um, We are moving to Woodcrest Junior High uh, on March 25th, and we've spent 30 years here in Diamond Bar, and looking back, I'm very grateful for this, this location. We've been here for 12 years. We started at the Shiloh Inn, we went to the Ramada Inn, we went to South Point Junior High, we went to Chaparral Junior High, and then when those places weren't available, several other <laughs> buildings, and, and then uh, we've been here for 12 years. This, this has been a fantastic place for us. Um, God gave us a beautiful day. Last night, we, many of us came, some, some I think, we, we had a men's summit this weekend, and so we were gauging last night as it was snowing whether or not we should come down, and I think everybody has made it. Uh, you know, Californians driving in the snow down a hill, that's, that's a little scary, and it was hairy, <laughs> and scary for all of us for sure. Um, but anyway, very grateful that we're here. Um, and to celebrate the fact that this is our last day here, what, what, do you, what do you do when you want to mark something in the modern day and age? You take a picture. So in between the second of the last song and the last song, if you're here and you'd like to be a part of the picture, we'd love for you to be. Uh, we're just going to bring the kids in. And we're, we're going to gather up here, snap a selfie or something like that, and just mark it. That way we can post it. And, and you know, then it's, then it's a real event <laughs> if it's on, on Facebook or Instagram or whatever. But uh, very grateful to God for the way he's put together the, the congregation that he has. And really the place, the location is not what it's all about. But it's the people. And uh, God has given us a relational community here that I, I, am really, I am very grateful to lead. Very grateful for you all who've been a part. Uh, if you're a guest here today, glad you showed up today. Glad you're here. Uh, if this is your first time. Very grateful. Um, we have one couple who has been here from the very first meeting that we ever had, uh, Ron and Renee Carlson, uh, were a part of our launch team, and they live in Whittier, and I don't, I don't think it makes sense to add 15 more miles to the trek. They, they don't. That's what counts. <laughs> they don't think it makes sense, but uh, I just wanted to uh, acknowledge them. They were part of our launch team. We had six adults and six kids that were a part of our launch team, and they, they've driven from uh, Whittier for 30, 30 plus years, so I'm, I'm very grateful to them, and I know um, it, it may not make sense to some others of you to come, and I'm, I'm really glad that you're a part of things that you've been a part, and hopefully you'll visit us uh, if you don't 
decide to make it a, a regular attendance. But Ron Ray, would you stand? I'd like to just thank them. God, what's really important to God is faithfulness. doesn't matter what position you have or what role you play. Um, but it's really important that we're faithful to do our assignments. And Ron and Renee have served faithfully over the last several years. And as I said, several of you all have as well. And um, so I'm very grateful for this day. I'm looking forward to what God will do. Uh, in Ontario Ranch and the opportunity that he's presenting there. And also, as we launch a team out in August to plant a church in North Fontana, be great to see what God does. Uh, somebody said the other day, why don't we change as many things as we can think of and do it all at once? <laughs> and honestly, that feels like what's happening. You know, we've got people selling the houses. There's a real estate ad uh, that was put out by a guy, and all three houses on the ad were Church in the Valley people <laughs> moving, either selling their house here, moving to Ontario Ranch, or moving to North Montana. Um, it, it, it just shows really the heart for the kingdom that we're able and willing to bear the load of all the change. And so I know we're in transition. We're grieving a bit now um, for the loss of being here, the loss of this place and the location. Uh, it's going to be somewhat awkward for a while at the new location, um, but then we'll get settled in and, and we'll, we'll, I know God's going to be faithful to be there and to help us work through it. So. That's enough of that. I, I want to quit crying up here. So. <laughs> I'm wrapping up the Identity Series this morning, and we spent the last seven weeks looking at uh, identity and the impact it has on all of life. It, it, it has a tremendous impact, our understanding of ourselves. Our working definition has been identity is who I am at the core of my being. And hopefully this series has been a help to you. Our, our goal has been to discover the prime identity that God gives you when you decide to follow him. Because the moment you decide, you're, you're already, just by your existence, you're very valuable to God as a human being. He made you. He gave you uh, his image. He put his image in you as a person. And... Uh, so he, you're very valuable to, to God. And then once you come to know Christ, he, he gives you a new, a new identity in him. And so we've been looking at that. Our, our self-concept grows out of our sense of identity. And that's really what affects the way we approach life and handle our roles and, in family life, at work, in ministry. It's, it's our self-concept, the way we see ourselves, the way we view ourselves. And it can be like this, this carnival mirror. Uh, if, if, if it's skewed 
and we don't see ourselves very clearly or we're distorted, then that really messes up our, our family relationships, our friendships, our work, the way we approach ministry. It gets distorted. And we don't, we don't really experience even a fraction of the joy and purpose that God intends for us to experience. And so our sense of identity shapes our character. It informs our decision. It defines our purpose for living. And if you've been here for this series and you aren't yet following Christ, I hope you've seen a glimpse of the treasure that we have in Him. That's, that's been our goal. When you decide to follow Jesus, he, he wants to help you gain an understanding of your identity and worth before God that makes the best po- possible life. That, that's, Jesus said, I came... The thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, but I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. The best possible life is why he came. And so our identity is wrapped up in that. So we've been looking at identity from different viewpoints, all the things that God has done for us. And today we're going to look at leadership. Uh, we looked a couple weeks ago, we looked at fellowship being a follower under authority. Today we're going to look at what God wants from us as we exercise authority, as we've been given authority. Um, Our identity as a follower of Christ impacts the way we approach this. And, And all of us lead in some way. You know, we lead in family life, or we lead at work, or here in ministry. Maybe you have a piece of of uh, responsibility for something. But it's important that we follow well and we lead well because God's put this, we looked a couple weeks ago at how God has established authority as a way to get things done. You know, a body without a skeleton would be a blob on the floor. It couldn't move. And, and so are organizations. When people are in groups, when they're pulled together in groups, you need structure in order to be able to accomplish its, the purpose for that group or organization. Um, God has goals for leaders in different arenas uh, in the church. Here's, here's just a brief overview, and it's going to be pretty quick. You may not be able to write this down if you'd like to know what it is. Uh, just let me know. I'll, I'll walk through this. But in the arena of the church, God's goal is to make fully devoted followers or disciples. Uh, out of not yet Christians. Um, in home, be, he wants the husband and wife to be companions in doing the will of God on the earth and raising up godly offspring. In government, the government arena, the leaders are to lead toward doing good by the citizens, especially by maintaining order and justice. In business, the goal, God's goal, is to legally produce a profit. In school, to educate students within parental authority. So, if, if you're able to accomplish those things in these arenas, everybody involved is blessed by that. Everybody is. Think about this. But what tends to happen is we get into a mode where if we're leading, we're just domineering, if we're 
if we're following, we get adversarial, and we, we don't want to make it that easy on the leader, because they're not doing it exactly the way I would, or, you know, they're just, they've made a couple mistakes, and we're not sure we could trust them. So, we, we tend to either make it hard on the people under us, or hard on the people over us, that, that is not helpful at all. That's what basically what this passage we've been looking at is we should be working together to get things done. Leaders should lead with the best interests of their followers in mind and followers should try to make it a joy for those leading. So we're going to look at some very specific guidance that comes from Peter, we've been walking through the book of Peter, because it's foolish to get in a tug of war and create unnecessary tension as a leader or follower, since it's so helpful and enjoyable if these goals are accomplished. This is, this is what it, what, what, why it's so important. Following Christ changes you at the core of who you are, and since I follow Christ, I lead like Christ. He's, he's our model. All of us, as I said, lead in some context. The principles we're going to dig into today are specifically laid out for spiritual leaders, but apply to all arenas. You may lead a team at work. You may be the boss at work. Uh, you, you may lead a service team here at church, or maybe you're the captain of one of our teams, or you lead a group, or as you even lead a meetup or some some effort that we're doing. If you're a husband, this applies to how you lead your family. If you're a mom, it applies to how you lead your children. If you're a student and responsible for leading a group project, it's going to go better if you lead like Jesus, if you lead His way. And so we're going to look at that today. In the section of Scripture that we're going to read through, Peter's speaking to the elders of the church. He's speaking to the pastors and the shepherds, as they're called. But he also widens the scope to all within the church. So let's read through 1 Peter 5, 1 through 5. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. That, that uh, last phrase should bring pause. If, if you decide to use your position, either as a leader or as a follower, uh, for your own interests, do you think you know better than everybody else? God opposes that. That's scary. I do not want to line up against God. And so it's a very important aspect that we'll look at in a while. 
But here, lead, Peter describes how to lead God's way. Now, first of all, you use your power. If you're a leader, you use the authority, the power that you're given to serve. This is very clear in the way Jesus led. Notice verse 2 says, shepherd the flock of God, exercising oversight. If you're leading in the church, God has given you this position to lead His people. If you lead in another arena, there's still people He's made that you're leading. Very valuable to Him in His sight. Very important to Him. The perspective you find in the Bible is that any leadership role is a stewardship. In other words, it's been given you, it's been entrusted to you by God. This is how He rules the world. This is how He leads. He leads through authority. He leads nations this way. He leads uh, families this way. He leads in church this way. He, He hands out leadership. And... Through that leadership, he accomplishes his purpose. Now, some leaders are, are horrendous, frankly. But God has the ability, even though leaders can choose to go the wrong way, he has the ability to work his purpose and plan out in the lives of people who turn to him and trust him. It's sobering, though, to realize for me, as, as a pastor, responsible for a group, group of people, This is a God-given assignment, and this is not my church. This is, it's God's church. These are God's people. They're not my people. You you are God's people. He's, He's given the role as pastor, or if you're a small group leader, or a team leader, a team captain, he's given you the role so that we'll take care of people. So that we will show his kind of love to them. And we will lead well toward the goal because everybody's blessed as we grow as followers of Christ. If we become more devoted to Christ, that's good. That's good for us. That's what we focus on. Like a shepherd who watches over the sheep under their care, a leader must show the same commitment to his or her oversight. God's given us people to lead, and the chief chief shepherd has given me a part of his flock to watch. And as I said, this is how he rules the world. We also see the right attitude toward our leadership role, not under compulsion, but willingly. Now, is obligation a motivation killer or what? (laughs) I mean, if you you feel like you've, you've taken a role... And, or you're in a role and you begin to resent having to do what it requires to accomplish the role. That is, a, that is not a good place to be. That just kills motivation. So, what, what Peter says here, what God has him write down is, we're to lead not under compulsion but with a free heart, with a willing heart to do that. This is true in the church. It's also true in other arenas. Uh, Parenting wears you out. It's tiring. Uh, Leading at work 
can be frustrating as you try to get the team on board and heading in a certain direction. Teaching a class is a challenge. If you're lacking motivation and leading, if you're beginning to see it as drudgery, if you're beginning to dread the role that you're playing in the lives of anyone, ask God for help. Because whenever He gives us a command, as we turn to Him for help to do that command, He gives it. So ask God for help. If you're beginning to see the people you lead as a roadblock to joy in your life, ask God to help you love them enough to think through creative ways to help them from your position. We, we have the position to serve, to bless, to help, and to love those entrusted to us. Practically, if I begin to roll my eyes, get irritated with the people I lead because they seem like they're difficult, I need to keep going to God, asking Him for help. God, give me patience. Help me with this. Would you help me show kindness? Would you help me show your kind of love? Because, frankly, God has been incredibly patient with me. (laughs) He's been very, very patient with me as I wriggle around and as I get squirrely. And so we show patience with others that we, we are responsible for. We're also shown a core motive, not for shameful game, but eagerly. Have you ever followed someone who's mainly concerned with themselves? Major bummer. That is a major bummer. Shameful gain here is more than greed for money, but gain of recognition, uh, recognition, comfort, popularity, or credit. If a leader uses their influence to serve their own need for power or a validation, relationships will be burned over time and the leader will lose respect and influence. Trust erodes. Progress in that arena is stalled. Now, I'd like to show you a video clip. Um, and as you watch it, just what do you think it would be like to work for this guy? Um, it's from Horrible Bosses. I haven't seen the movie, but... Um, In this clip, Jason Bateman's character is upset because he was promised the promotion he didn't get. Let's watch it together. Mr. Harkin, can I speak to you? Yeah, sure. What is it? You know, for months you've been hinting that I was in line for that promotion. And look how hard you've been working. Were you just lying to me? Lying? No, Nick. Motivating. I mean, look, we're all part of the same team here. Plus, you know, I'm the one who's going to be doing all the extra work. You know that last month you made me work so late, I missed saying goodbye to my gam-gam? I'm sorry, what? My grandmother, I told you that I needed to see her because she was very, very sick. You said if I left early, I'd get fired. And she died before I made it to the hospital. I'm sorry. Thank you. I had no idea that you called your grandmother Sorry. Sorry you didn't get to say bye-bye to Cam Cam. <laughs> but I needed you to stay here and work late because you were an invaluable member of this operation, and I need you in the position that you're currently in. That is horrible, isn't it? Um, everyone under this guy's authority is watching their back. 
motivation's waning. Now, granted, it probably wasn't a good idea to use Gam Gam as his description of his grandmother. But, nonetheless, the boss laughed in his face, belittled him. You lose the hearts of people this way when you lead for yourself. As you lead, we need to keep asking, is there anything I'm doing that's better for me than those I lead? A leader keeps three priorities in place and in order. The first priority is the mission. We looked at the goals, God's goals for the different arenas of life. And the first priority of any leader in that area is to pull the people together in a way that accomplishes the goal for that arena. If you do that, it brings respect. People are motivated to do that. Second priority for a leader are the followers. The number two priority is to try to make it good for those under you. If you have authority in any arena, this is God's goal for you. That you try to make it good. You, you, there are going to be times when you have to ask people to sacrifice for the purpose, the mission, the goal. But if they know you're out for your, their best interests, then they're going to be motivated to do that. They're going to want to do it. And then the third priority is me as the leader. Me last. If I'm leading and my followers know that I'm willing to sacrifice for them and put my own welfare third, then trust increases and I foster tremendous loyalty as I do that. Jesus led this way. There was an argument. He, he had 12 disciples that spent three years with him. They did everything together. They walked through and they, they watched him minister and serve people. And a fight broke out among them about who was going to be the greatest when the kingdom came in. You know, they knew Jesus was the king. So when the kingdom comes in, who's going to be the greatest? And Jesus, it says the way he said it, uh, he, he, it kind of sounds like he, he called them to him and he was very clear about way people lead in his kingdom. He said, you know that those who exercise authority over you, uh, they, they lord it over you uh, the gen- among the Gentiles, among those who aren't my people. Those who exercise authority, they lord it over you. And their great men exercise authority over you. They dominate you. They dominate. They're domineering. But it shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be my servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. So he was very clear about this, adamant, about using our power as leaders to serve. In addition to motivation, Peter describes a godly leader's approach. They don't don't push, but they pull others along. Uh, The natural path for leadership is to push followers to do what the leader needs done. This is what was happening in that clip we saw. At at times, any method you can, you lie, you deceive, you're pushing people along. And there are thousands of books written with specific methods uh, and practices for leading. Here here are some very interesting book titles on leadership. Uh, Here's one, Lead Like a Pirate. 
I, I just personally, I've never read the book, but I wonder what that's about. <laughs> that's an interesting approach. Here's one, how to be like Walt. We have people that, uh, you know, have led well in different arenas, and we want to do that uh, like them. And then lead like a heretic. I want to stay away from that approach, personally. In contrast, Peter provides two key ways to lead that please God. First of all, a godly leader is not domineering. This is not Jesus' way. Most leaders don't go in thinking, how can I control? But when the pressure begins to build, we begin, we push just to, to deal with the, the situation. Domineering in our approach may push people for a, for a time, but we lose their heart. We're not pulling them along. Peter shows us how to pull people along when he says being examples to the flock. Because we're, we're, it's like cooked spaghetti. Yeah, it's really hard to push, but it's easy to pull along. That's how people are. We're, we're, we're not easy to push. We may conform briefly, but it's better to pull. You, you can bring uh, the hearts of the folks along if you pull them along. Uh, the word here, for example, in this passage, is where we get the English word type. And it's, it's a die cut, is the idea. Or, or actually a scar. It's where there's a mark. And, um, you know, on a typewriter back in the day, when we used to have typewriters, you know, they, they had a die cut, each letter of the alphabet and all the numbers and all the symbols. And you'd hit the... Just describing it to you who've never seen a typewriter. <laughs> you, you hit the, the button for the letter that you want to print, and it goes up there, and it's got this little thing, and it uses ink, and it puts the letter on the page. It's amazing. It was amazing in its day. Um, that's, that's, that's actually what it's saying here. We're to be examples of the flock. If we're leading like Jesus, we're going to lead his way. He set the ultimate model. And we're, we're told to lead the same way in the church, in all the arenas of our life. We're to lead this way, and we're to be the typos, is the Greek word, the type that people model ourselves author. Another variance of that word is scar. Uh, a leader gets close to the people they lead and they allow them to see their scars and our attitude toward our scars. People need a leader who sacrificed first, risks for others, and ultimately lead them forward. This is Jesus' example. He led us by suffering for us. And we lead the same way. If we have area of responsibility, we, we are willing to pay a price for the people under us. We're willing to suffer. We do that with our kids. We do that. We should do that at work. We should do it in church life. We, we suffer. We go through the pain. It's inconvenient to be the leader with all the responsibility. We don't do it under compulsion, but willingly with a free heart. And we're willing to pay the price like Jesus did before us. Peter wraps up the section by saying, wear humility as you work together. He widens his audience to include everyone in the church. 
And he shows us that whether you lead or follow, humility is the path to God's grace and blessing. Here's what he says in 5 through 7. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Clothe yourselves with humility. To clothe yourselves with humility has this picture of putting on an apron and getting to work or rolling up your sleeves to serve, to help out, to be a help. And I'm sure that in Peter's mind as he wrote these words was the the time when Jesus washed the disciples' feet. They showed up in in the room where they were going to have the Last Supper with Jesus. And in those days, they wore sandals, their feet were dirty. And when you walked into a room the very first time when you were going to be there for a while, it was customary for a servant to come and wash the feet of the guests, those who were present, the the homeowners and the guests. And so the disciples are gathering in this room for the Last Supper. And there's no servant to wash their feet. But Jesus washes the feet of his disciples. That, that is the model. That is the example of leadership he's given us. And I know that was in, in Peter's mind. Peter was a type A, alpha male kind of guy. Very impulsive until Jesus changed him <laughs> into the person he became. And that had to leave a mark on him. That picture of Jesus getting the basin and washing the dirty feet of each of his men that had been following him. That's our picture for leadership. Today the path is the same. A godly leader always wears humility, and you have to put it on every day, actually. Probably you have to put it on situation by situation. Because it's not our natural instinct. It's not our natural way. So we have to wear humility. We have to put it on like clothing. And as you trust God, as you lead... You, you do so knowing He's going to take care of you. When you lead as Christ led, you're under the mighty hand of God. And he will exalt you in due season. Whether you lead or follow, He will make it good. As I wrap up the series and today's message, I want to encourage you to think about taking a next step. Um, a, a possible next step is to ask God to show me a wrong motivation Am I using my power for personal advantage in some way? Maybe he showed you something, uh, a wrong motivation, or a method. Am I pushing people to do what I want just to make it easy on me? Am I not paying the price myself? Am I asking others to pay the price that I should be paying as I lead? And, And do I need to humble myself? So God may have spoken to you, and I'd encourage you to take the step that he laid on your heart to take. And then 
Another step would be to come back for our first service in Ontario Ranch. We'd, we'd love to have you there. And remember, we're going to organize. We're, we're doing this on the fly because that's how you do uh, pictures of events today is you try to put them together on the fly. So we're going we're gonna to invite um, everyone up in between after this song that we're going to sing right now. But would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the example you gave of leadership. Thank you for your humility. Here's the God of the universe, the one who spoke everything into being, who was willing to wash the feet of his men. We thank you, God, for this example. And may it mark our lives. And may service be a part of who we are and who you've made us to be moving forward. It is who you made us to be. May it be so. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.